Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Oh, my. 
offering at this time, please. Brother Pettigo, will you lead our offertory prayer? to have Hannah Carroll back with us this morning. I think she brought mom and dad and brother Andrew and Andrew's friend Cadison, who, by the way, these two young men, um, nobody in here may know who the voices of Lee are except me, but YouTube, the voices of Lee, these guys right here are in that acapella singing group. They travel to Lee University, has, a, has an acapella traveling group. They're phenomenal. And they're going to be singing here at Rocky Valley. 
here in a little while. Okay, not the voices of Lee. Caddis and Andrew will. Okay. Choir, will you stand as we continue to worship? As we sing, here I am.
church, will you sing the third stanza, please? The third stanza.
share with us a song, Here I Am, Lord.
I need a microphone. <laughs> you know, the good news is I don't have to beat that. I can just glory in the fact that there are young men and women who still desire to sing praises to a holy God. I can glory in the fact that God blessed them so richly with a great talent. I can also feel bad a little bit because used to when people saw me, they said that young man, and now I'm saying those young men, which means I'm not the young man anymore. So <laughs> take me a minute or two to get used to that. Thank you for sharing a portion of what the Lord has so greatly blessed you with, with us this morning. 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 this morning and running through the first verse of 1 John chapter 2, sin and the Savior, and it is a wonderful morning to be here in the house of the Lord. I am so thankful for our guest musicians, I'm so thankful for our choir and our, our minister of music for helping us this morning by leading us through the worship through song portion of our service this morning. And now we, we turn our attention to continue our worship. We didn't stop worshiping, we're continuing our worship through the reading and teaching of the holy words of our holy God. And so in 1 John chapter 1, we'll be kind of looking uh, through the end of, of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, and we'll be studying a, 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 a subject that everybody has to deal with. Uh, it's not just one that some of you will relate to. It's not just one that this group can relate to. It's one that everybody is going to be able to relate to. Every one of us will have to say that this text applies to us directly. Throughout this section of this text, we are going to see that there is really one word, one thought, one focus that continues to come up, and that is a three-letter word that is such a defining characteristic of man, and that is sin. The simple fact is that we are all born with a nature of sin. We all battle the desire of sin. Creation itself has fallen away from the glory that it was created to do because of sin, and quite frankly, John will show us that sin is a real and imminent problem for all of us. But the wonderful part is, in this section of the text, just like in every other section of the text, if we dig deeper and interpret it correctly, we will find that sin is not quite the focus, but the Savior is the focus of this text. Just like the Savior is the focus of every text in the Holy Writ of God. So please, if you are able, stand this morning in honor and reverence to the reading of the holy words of our holy God from 1 John, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come to you this morning, God, so thankful that we have an opportunity to be here in your house to worship your holy name. God, we pray that there be any devil or any demon or any hindrance of our mind that would stop us from worshiping you in the next few minutes. God, would you remove it even now and cast it out the door that it came in. Allow us to focus on nothing but you and you alone because you and you alone are worthy of our focus. You and you alone are worthy of our worship. And you and you alone are worthy to be glorified this morning. So God, let us glorify you with the remainder of our time. And it's in your precious name that we do pray, as all God's children said. Amen, and you may be seated. So as we dive our, ourselves into this text, we're in the opening of this letter from John, and he kind of jumps right into the fire, so to speak. He wrote in, in verse 4 that, that he's writing this, that we might experience joy in its fullest. We might experience the joy in the fullness that it was meant for us to experience. So he had been dealing in these first few verses with the subject that Jesus, who was the creator and was heard about in the Old Testament. He had been written about, he'd been prophesied about, and Jesus had been, had been heard from these people. But, but then he writes and he says, the one that we had heard about, uh, the one that was the creator, he came down to dwell in his creation. And we've seen him with our eyes, and we've touched him with our hands, and because of what he did when he came to this earth, because of what Jesus did when the Creator became a, a, a part of creation, came into the creation, what he did was gave us an opportunity to have fellowship with the Father. And that's pretty good news that John introduces us with in this letter, that we have an opportunity to have fellowship with God that, that we would not have apart from Jesus Christ coming into this earth. And so that seems pretty joyous as he starts this letter out. But then he kind of gets into to verse 5, and he starts to kind of spin it a little bit. He kind of yanks the rug out from under us, so to speak. He says, Jesus came into this earth. He did what we couldn't do. And he says, but we have this problem of sin. And that seems like anything but joyous that you would say, well, I write this so that you'll have joy in its fullest and then I'm going to tell you how bad you are. And so we look at this subject, we have to ask ourselves, why did, did John pen this letter in this fashion? Why did he, did he start us out saying, I'm writing about your joy and then I'm going to tell you about your sin? And the first thing we're going to look at this morning as we explore this subject is that there is a fellowship in the light. There's a fellowship that is in the light. John says, I write to you that you may have full joy, and then this is the message that God has given me. I want you to have joy, and as I pin this down, this is the message that God wants me to preach to you. And he begins where really, what I would say, all theology about Christianity begins. God is light, and in Him, there's no darkness. Let me say that again. God is light, and in Him, 
There's no darkness. You say, well, what do you mean? That's kind of the base of a Christian theology. Isn't Jesus the base of Christian theology? Well, of course, Jesus is what Christian theology is all about. But if you want to understand what Jesus did for you, you have to understand what you didn't have apart from Jesus, if that makes sense. And so we have to understand that our theology begins with a holy God. It begins with a holy God and what his stance with our sin is. So God is light. And so when you're in him and abiding in him, there can be no darkness. Now, I don't get overly scientific very often. Most of you know that I didn't do very well in science. But what, what I will say is that I do understand light and dark pretty well. And, and did you know that darkness is, is not a thing? Darkness has no real... You, you, can't, you can't put something together and make darkness. In order to make darkness, you take away light. That's literally the definition of darkness. It is the absence of light. It's not the creation of something. It's the taking away of something. And so, so if that's the scientific thing, and what John is writing here is that, is that where there's light, there is no darkness. What he's literally writing is that from a spiritual standpoint, darkness only occurs when you remove the light from the situation. What the light doesn't move though, right? God is the light. So, so how do you get? A, you have to move yourself, right? You have to move yourself from that light to get that darkness. So, where there is darkness, there is no light. But in verse six, John makes a statement about being in fellowship with God, and he says, "Here, I'm gonna get down to the nitty gritty with you. If you have fellowship and you have relationship with God, then you can't walk in darkness." You can't walk in darkness if you have a relationship with God. And that statement for walking in darkness, that, that statement literally means to conduct your life in that manner. So what John is writing is that if we know God, if we have a true relationship with God, we can't remain in the darkness. We can't walk in that fellowship of darkness. We can't continue to conduct our lives in that fashion. And so it's, it's the idea that life continuing in that manner. I want to make sure we're clear. I'm not saying that those, those of us who are saved will never sin. I would never make that statement. I, I'm pretty sure I didn't get out of bed this morning and get all the way to the kitchen before I probably sinned in some way or some fashion. But what I'm saying is that a child of God who walks in fellowship with God cannot walk out of that fellowship in the darkness and stay there. You just can't stay there. Well, how long is too long, Brother Jason? I don't know. What is your desire? Is your desire to stay there or is your desire to come back into fellowship with God? Because for a true child of God, you will desire to come back into communion with God and into fellowship with God. If we walk in sin, we walk in darkness, Scripture says we lie, we don't practice the truth. And so the idea is pretty simple. To walk with God means that we walk in His ways. To walk with God means we walk in the ways that are holy. And to walk in darkness means we don't walk with God. And if, verse 7, we kind of get a dose of that good stuff, don't we? There is forgiveness available through Jesus Christ and his blood. If we walk in that forgiveness of Jesus and his blood, then we have fellowship with the Father and with other believers. And so what that, that means, in the real simple terms, I want to make sure we, we get this real quick is that we were created to walk in fellowship with God and to glorify God on this earth. That's what we were made to do. But because of sin, we've separated from God. 
We no longer glorify him the way that we are supposed to because of the sin that separates us from him. But because of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to fellowship with God and to live in his glory and to live in the light. And if we are a child of God, then our lives will be marked by a regular communion with God. Regular communion with God will be the mark of your life if you're a child of God. I get this question quite often. Well, Brother Jason, how do I know that I got saved all those years ago? How do I know that that salvation was real? How do I know it wasn't some emotional experience or some childlike experience? My testimony is that I had an emotional experience as a young man, and then I had a salvation experience as what most of you would still call a young man, but as a somewhat older young man, I guess. Uh, what, What the relation for me was, I had to ask myself this. Has my desire through all these years to been to walk in the light? Or have I been walking pleasing my flesh and, and was I okay with that? And when I got right down to it, I had to say my conviction wasn't there. My desire was not to come back and serve God and be obedient to God. And, and so I would say this, if you, if you are a true blood-bought child of God, you will know because you desire to walk in the light. You will desire to walk in the light. You won't be happy when you're out of communion with your Father. And that brings us to the next point this morning, though. It's this. In verses 8 through 10, we start to see that there's a certainty of a broken fellowship. There is a certainty of a broken fellowship. So fellowship's found in the light. Sin separates us from that fellowship. So it would seem that the simple answer would be don't sin, right? Sin separates you from the light. You're supposed to walk in the light. So, hey... Just don't sin. And that sounds like a simple command, but according to verse 8, we're going to. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we do what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we declare that we have no sins, that we are lying to ourselves. And we don't even have the truth in us. Now, if you recall, John likes to use this word truth to describe Jesus quite often. In fact, in John 14, 6... Most of you will famously remember that he calls Jesus what? The way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is the truth, and what that means is that he is the standard by which the truth is measured. He's the cornerstone. He's that mark by which truth is kind of measured. And so for us to say that we have no sin would mean that we don't know Jesus. We don't know the truth. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, if you are measuring against the standard that you're supposed to be measuring against, that means you're comparing your life to the perfect life of Jesus. And if you are comparing your life to the perfect life of Jesus, you only deceive yourself if you think that you're living up to that standard. So we cannot sin, cannot live without sin, if the standard by which we name sin is Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. He says, listen, to say that you have no sin means that you must not know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you will find yourself continually falling short of that mark that has been set, that standard that has been placed. Anything that we do or don't do that is not the will of God is sin. What is sin? Anything you do or anything you don't do that is the will of God is sin. What did Jesus say continually on this earth? Not my will, but thine. How many of us can say 
that in every situation in our lives we've ever bowed and said, God, not my will, but thine. And Jesus did it in the most grievous of circumstances, facing punishment for sins that he didn't commit. He said, if there's any other way, God, but nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done, God. And so when we measure ourselves against that mark, we have to say we fall so short so often. But then look at verse 10. Fast forward with me just a second. Not only if we, if we say we have no sin, but he goes on to say if we say that we have not sinned, we do what? We make him a liar. So if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. You deceive yourself. But furthermore, if you say you have not sinned, he's a liar. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says quite simply that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also goes on to say that through one man, Adam, sin entered into this world. And that means that quite frankly, there's never been a person born that didn't have a nature of sin that they inherited from Adam. Let me say that again. There's never been a person born that didn't have a nature of sin that they inherited from Adam. Since the beginning of time, if you believe scripture to be true, you have to stand with me on that. Not one has been born righteous. That means if you were able, and you can't, but if you were able to get through a point in time in your life and say, you know what, I've not sinned, that statement alone would be sinful because of your nature of sin. Even if you did nothing wrong, you would still have enough unrighteousness to be separated from God. And so if we say we don't sin, we're liars. If we say we don't sin, he's a liar because he said all of us have a problem with sin. You know, if we were going to have a class about certain sins or about specific sins... Well, there would be some people if I said, all right, we're going to have a, a, a class about gossip. If you've got a problem with gossip, I need you to come to this class. And some people would, would come to the class, but some people wouldn't, and they wouldn't need to because they don't have a problem with gossip. But then I turned around and said, we're also going to have a class on commitment, on being commitment to Christ. Well, some people would have to come to that class if they were being honest, and some people, quite frankly, would not have to come to that class because commitment is not a problem for them. And so the thing is, if we get specific on sins, I might be able to say that I'm able to avoid that particular sin. That's not a, a problem for me. Lack of faith is not a problem, or commitment is not a problem, or gossip is not a problem. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a slanderer. I'm not, a, I'm not running around on my wife. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not doing any of this stuff that is sinful. I might be able to get away with one of those, but the fact of the matter is, we come to a class this morning where John pens a letter and says, I'm not dealing with any one specific sin. What I'm telling you is that the broader sense, the problem is simply sin. Whatever kind of sin it is. None of us can back in the corner here and say that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't deal with me. I don't do that. We have to all come forward and be completely honest and say this morning we all have a nature of sin. We all have a temptation to sin. We're all guilty of sin. And so the text applies directly to every person who breathes. And that's a simple text to preach. I don't have to think about my audience. They tell you in public speaking to keep your audience in mind. 
I have an open audience this morning when I say this. We all desire to walk in our flesh. But to walk in the light is to measure our lives according to the truth that is Jesus. To illuminate our failures and shortcomings by walking in the light. And nobody wants to illuminate their failures or shortcomings. Nobody wants to do that. That's why we want to pull back in the darkness. Because it's easier to hide what we're doing wrong. It's hard to come forward and say, that was me. Yeah, I see it in my children all the time. And I hate to use my children for an example too often, but my goodness, I got, I got four of them. That's about the only thing I have. And every time something goes wrong, do you know what the first person that gets blamed is? Whoever I ain't asking. Who did it? Carter did. Carter, why'd you do that? Because McKinley said, you said, do that. McKinley, why'd you tell him? I said, and by the time I get done, I forgot who did what. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'll say, who did it? And one of them will say, it was me. And I'll just about pass out on the floor. Because they don't want to walk in the light. They don't want to have to say, Daddy, it's my fault. I did it. I fell short. It was me. It was all me. Nobody did it for me. Nobody did it to me. It was all me. And for a believer, that's what we're supposed to do is slide up in that light and fellowship with God and say, God, would you illuminate to me the things that separate me from you? Because I want to walk closer to you. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to slink by in the darkness, get through. It's not good enough for me to say I did enough to get to heaven. It's only good enough for me if I live to glorify your name, God. And that's a pretty bleak picture so far, isn't it? The boy preacher, you did a good job picking us up. You told us fellowships found in the light, and then you said we couldn't walk in the light. Thank you. I'll be depressed the rest of the week. Good news. Because I can't stop there. Bless God, there's a last point woven throughout this text, summed up in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And what if anyone sins? Well, he just said everybody was going to sin, so that's us, right? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. There is but one who can go to the Father on our behalf. And his name is Jesus. Why does Jesus have to go on our behalf? Well, because quite simply, God so hates sin that if you were in his presence without Jesus, he would be bound by his holiness to destroy you and your sin. God must punish every Sin. Not one will go unpunished. The wrath of God will be poured out on every sin. If not, he's not a just God. If not, he's not a holy God. His wrath will be poured out on all sin. But praise God for the believer. That we have an advocate 
who has already endured the wrath of God for sin. He was already crushed for our sins. He was already bruised for our iniquities. He was already killed in that beautiful substitution. And for us, he made a way that as sinful, hell-bound people, we could be reconciled to a holy God. And so how do we do that? According to verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins. Now that word confess, it's a, it's a compound word in the Greek. And I won't bore you too long with, with all of them. But, but if, you, if you break it down, it literally means that if we confess our sins, we say the same thing about our sins that God says. I mean, same word. It means we're going to say the same judgment about our sin that God says. In other words, to truly confess your sin is to say, God, I see my sin the way that you see my sin. It's filthy. It's unpardonable. It's inexcusable. And because of it, I deserve your wrath. I deserve the punishment for sin. And so for the believer, regular confession of sin should be a mark of your life. If you are a believer, there should be a regular confession of your sin. What do you mean? I mean that if you're a child of God, then you ought to be measuring your life against Jesus and where you fall short, it ought to make you sick at your stomach. And you ought to confess that and say, God, I want to see my sin the same way you see my sin. And John says, this is how we'll walk in full joy if we start seeing our sin for what it truly is. Because if we don't accept our sin for what it is, how can we appreciate what the Savior did on that tree? If you don't have a proper theology of sin and a proper theology of a holy God, then Jesus doesn't mean anything to you. He's just something that happened historically. Let me put it this way. If you, if you owed a debt that you didn't know that you owed, you had no idea you owed the debt, and I went on your behalf and I paid that debt in full for you, but you never knew you owed it, would you know to be thankful to me for that? Would you know to appreciate me for having done that? Of course not. But if I found out who you owe your car payment to, that you've been paying every month, scraping pennies together to get it done some months, and I were to go to that company and I were to pay your car off, well, you'd appreciate me for that because you knew you owed that debt, right? It's the same thing with sin. See, for so long... For so long, well-intentioned preachers have stood up and said, if you don't want us to go to hell, just say Jesus right now. Raise your right hand and say Jesus three times and we'll come by and pray a prayer. Without ever explaining to anybody the reason they needed Jesus was because they had fallen short of the glory of God. And they needed to be reconciled to a holy God because of their nature of sin. 
And that's why you say Jesus. That's why you cry out Jesus. That's why you want Jesus. That's why you need Jesus is because of your sin. We don't like to talk about sin anymore because it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people unhappy. And quite frankly, it doesn't put enough rear ends in seats to get preachers on platforms. My friends, I don't care if I only preach to eight of you next week. I'm going to preach that sin is very real, that God is very holy, and that apart from Jesus, you will go to hell. Maybe ten of you will be there. But we'll worship a holy God together. So what is the message this morning summed up? God's holy, man's not. And that Jesus is the only way you'll be made holy. And so what are you going to do with that? It's really simple when you get right down to it. So how will you respond this morning? Well, for the believer, we should respond in confession of our sins. We should ask ourselves, how often do I spend time begging God to give me the same view of, of my sin that he has? And how often do I spend time making excuses for my sin? Trying to make it okay in my mind. We should come this morning and say, God, I want to quit justifying my sin. And I want you to give me the same, same view of it that you do. But for some, you're here this morning, you need to recognize that there's going to be a time when the wrath of God is going to be poured out on your sin. And the wages of that sin is your death. And the punishment is an eternity in hell. And so will you endure that yourself? Or will you accept what Jesus has already done? Having already endured the wrath of God. Having already died your death. And having already taken your punishment on his back. Will you accept him this morning as your Lord and Savior? Come and say... I want to follow Jesus because I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you this morning so thankful that we have opportunity to worship you, God. So thankful that we have opportunity to commune with you this morning, God. And yet, recognizing that according to your word, Our sin is very real. So God, for those in the house who are dealing with a burden of sin, would you give them the conviction to come and lay it at your feet and say, God, I want you to show me my sin for what it is and I want you to forgive me of my sin. And thank God in your word this morning, we saw that if we confess our sins, you are faithful. Justin, you will forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. God, if there's one here this morning who's never been saved, who's never realized they needed freedom from the burden of sin, God, would you give them the conviction and the courage to stand and say, I want to walk in obedience, God. I want to follow you. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. God, will you be glorified in the remainder of our service. For it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.